0: we 're going to talk about what to grow and how to grow it, and are, are you on or okay and this is the one that I said I'm, i don 't have pictures in, and my daughter is is embarrassed about that, but it 's not her fault um, so I think you know you know what a tomato looks like, you know what what a lot of these things we 're going to talk about, so the pictures would make it pretty, but I don't think it will take away from the presentation that you don't have them. So again, I apologize. Let's just, we can't have too much prayer here, so let's just pray for God to be with us. Lord, as we go into this next section, we just ask for your your guidance, your wisdom. Give me, again, the, the, the right words to say. And... Um, May it be to your honor and glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I'm going to give you a little heads up here that next year the conference is going to be the end of January. And no, no, it will be 2017. Okay, so... It's going to be a little bit more space between. but, um, And the reason I tell you that now is just because we have been, you know, for farmers, they're still kind of wrapping up their summer at this time of year. And then with my son doing his first winter CSA, we've been very involved with that. So we've been running... Um, full speed the last well pretty much since spring Um, so I had wanted him to help me with this presentation but he got in this morning driving all night because he had CSA delivery yesterday I think I mentioned that so anyway we weren't I I wanted this to be more family but we do have Kirsten and Nick presenting later on and my dear wife presented and again I I wish it was different but we're doing the best we can so let's let's try to get practical here and you're getting a couple handouts that uh, it's with things that we grow and and again we're in middle tennessee We're almost at uh, 36-degree latitude. Um, We're in, you know, the zone thing is all, I think, a little up in the air because of climate change and all of that, and we won't get into politics here. But um, I say we're in zone 6B, okay? Some some people divide it into A and B. Zone so 6B, we get temperatures down in the single digits in the wintertime, and occasionally, on an occasional year, it gets below zero. Um, a lot of weather in the teens at night. Very little snow, which is kind of unusual. We, we get lots of cold weather, but very little snow. So anyway, that just to give you an idea of where we are, and so our recommendations for varieties and... Timing obviously is our recommendations, and that 's going to vary a whole lot depending on where you are in the country. but it's a starting point and then if you get other starting points, Elliot Coleman is in Maine, and he gives recommendations for timing and varieties and um, jm is in Canada, Southern Canada. he gives recommendations so if, you know the more you glean from others. The more you can say, okay, well, he plants at this date, and I'm planting at this date in Tennessee, so if I'm in Indiana, you know, and I, you, you gotta, it, at least it can help you not start from zero. You know, you're learning from others. Yes, question? That's a good point, and for whatever reason, and I should just kind of restate that for the audio. But he was asking if if there's any um, any people growing further south from us that would give starting points. Unfortunately, I can't think of anybody for, for whatever reason. The um, most of the writers. Um, seem to be from more up north, and I think there are reasons for that <laughs> um, this south southeast is is kind of rough because of the heat and humidity. Those two combined make gardening more challenging than a drier climate yes we How do our times correlate with what we see in the newspaper? Well, my short answer is I don't look at the newspaper, so I don't know. Um, Yeah, and we're going to have to save questions. We're we're trying to make sure, at least in the final session, that there's time for questions. But in order to get through things, we're going to have to plunge ahead So write your questions down, and even if we can't do it in the seminar, we'll do our best. Once I get through tomorrow morning, I'm through presenting, so I can relax and look me up, and I'll be happy to try to answer your questions, okay? So today is crazy, if we can get through today, and then I have one presentation in the morning, okay? What to grow and, and again, you know these are guidelines. Um, it may vary somewhat, but these are pretty much tried and true. Tomatoes are are one of your biggest sellers and and I'm talking about cherry tomatoes I'm talking about um, when I say regular, I mean large tomatoes, slicing tomatoes, hybrids and heirlooms and again I don't want to I'm not going to get into hybrids versus heirlooms and stuff because I, I trust that you know the difference at this point and I just want to say you know hybrids have kind of gotten a bad name and hybrids are not necessarily the ideal because it's it's not easy to save the seed. And we know as Adventists we've got the inside scoop that at some point we're not going to be able to buy seeds. So that's a very good argument for growing heirlooms. But when you're doing a market garden, there's a balance there because heirlooms don't always have the consistency and the yields that you have to rely on if, you're, if you've got a CSA and you need this many heads of broccoli. I tell you, I haven't found a good heirloom broccoli. That's one thing you'll find very few heirloom broccolies, and there's reasons for that. Um, so we use hybrid broccoli, and we don't We don't feel guilty about that. Because there's nothing evil about hybrids. Now, GMO is a whole different issue. We're, we won't go there. But, um, yeah. So so there's that balance. You, you know that someday you're not going to be able to buy seeds. So you want to have one hand in the heirlooms. But if you're doing it for a living, you've got to have some, some assurance that when you plant it, it's going to, to produce for you. Um, so, we do some of both usually of most things, and especially tomatoes. you know some people love heirlooms and and there 's no question that some of the heirlooms are very good cucumbers big money maker we we 've struggled with cucumbers the last few years, um, but we sell whatever we can produce peppers they're they 're certainly not. At the, on the same level as tomatoes and cucumbers but peppers you know people people buy peppers and they bring a good price lettuce that's a big one tomatoes and lettuce you know if you're only going to grow two things grow tomatoes and lettuce um, and, and not just lettuce but other salad greens if you can make up what some people call a mesclun mix that kind of thing that's very popular. Um, something that they can buy in a bag and basically just eat straight out of the bag. Now, you don't want to encourage that because legally there's some issues there. You, you need to just kind of tell them, we're not claiming this is ready to eat straight out of the bag. But most people do. Um, carrots, big you know we can we can sell carrots and winter carrots are unbelievable they're they're so tasty when the weather turns cold the starches turn to sugars and winter carrots are like candy our customers children come well i mean we could tell you lots of stories but i remember one that the child came home crying because somebody had stolen her carrots (laughs) Because they're so good. They're fighting over carrots at lunch. I mean, isn't that amazing? Praise God. I mean, it's not. Pray, don't praise God that they're fighting. But if they're going to fight over something, rather be carrots than candy. Beets. This one has kind of surprised us. Because a lot of people don't like beets. But there's enough people who do like beets and like real beets, you know, that, We can sell a lot of beets in the springtime. And I mean, you know, basically you're selling for a dollar a beet. It's unbelievable. That's why I don't market because I'm embarrassed to sell this stuff for these prices. You know, for our family, you'd pay $10 to buy beets for a meal, you know? Um, But... We don't charge that much more than the grocery store, you know. It's food is expensive. Uh, your cooking greens, kale is the big one. That's become really kind of cool in the last however many years, 10 years. Um, Swiss chard, there's a good market for that. Those are the two big ones, but depending on where you live, um, you know, you kinda gotta feel out your market and what the locals like and that kind of thing. You know, collard greens, we grow some collards. Um for whatever reason, collards don't have the status of kale. Kale is cool, you know. Collards I like collards better personally, but so you, you have to to get a feel for that. And and this is a big one, fruit. If, if you can grow any kind of fruit, um, people love it. You know, in our boxes, we try as much as possible through the summer. You know, we start with strawberries. We do a lot of strawberries. They always have strawberries in their box. And, you know, they open the box, and it may have ten other things, beautiful things, but... Man, oh, strawberries. Oh, I can't wait, you know. And then blueberries later, and we have some blackberries. Um, Fruit cells. And and that's going to be something that a lot of people who are just getting into growing, you know, if they're doing home gardens or whatever, they may not have that, you know, because blueberries take years to establish, so... Um, any kind of fruit and and we're not even into tree fruit I'm, I'm a little embarrassed about that but growing tree fruit in the southeast organically most people would tell you is impossible um, I can't tell you because I haven't done it yet but the reason I haven't done it is because I only have so much time and it's kind of an iffy thing You'll you'll notice all the organic fruits you buy in the store comes from the northwest, maybe a little bit from Michigan and up there, but there's very good reasons for that. But berries, the small fruits, we can grow. Not always easily, but we can do that. And So I would really encourage you to look into that. Okay, so... We're just going to get, I'm going to mention some specifics and some of these are not on your handout because these were some standouts from this year. Um, Of course, every year is different and because it was a standout this year doesn't mean it will be a standout next year, but Be Orange the ones with the asterisk are the, the ones that were real hits with us. Be orange was a greenhouse hybrid tomato that did very well, and we got very good reviews from our customers on. It's obviously an orange tomato. The seed, most expensive seed I buy, it's over a dollar per seed. And, you know, you're thinking, whoa, that's a lot which it is, but, you know, you pay for that with one tomato. So you got to look at it that way. It's an investment that quickly pays. A seed, even at a dollar a seed, is cheap compared to, to what you can potentially make off of it. Big Dina is a red one that did well for us. Maru Muchu. Funny name, it's a Japanese one. Actually, that one didn't do so well for us this year, but last year it was a standout, and um, people were asking for it by name this year. You know, in our area, there's a Bradley. It seems to be a very local, localized favorite. And in our taste tests, our informal taste tests, the Tamimaru Muchu... um, ranked higher than the Bradley. Margold was a new one we did this year. And this is an interesting dilemma. These are from Johnny's seeds. And there's lots of free Johnny's catalogs over in the exhibit area. Make sure you get one if you don't have one. That's education in itself. There's a lot of good growing information in a Johnny's catalog. But... Um, this year, Johnny's started selling hybrids that look and taste like heirlooms, which sounds great. You know, you've got the disease resistance and vigor of a hybrid with the taste of a an heirloom, but we got to market and we had this dilemma, you know, everybody thinks they're heirlooms, so... But they're not. And, you know, we've got to deal with our conscience here. And so it was kind of a disaster for us this year because we didn't know how to, you know, they look like heirlooms, they taste like heirlooms, but they're hybrids. You know, we charge more for our heirlooms. So it really was mixed up, and we weren't sure how to deal with it. Air breath <laughs> <Airbread. laughs> That's interesting. Yeah, so we're still, we haven't figured out how to deal with that. But this is a beautiful tomato, um, similar to a striped German, if any of you know your heirlooms. Yellow with red stripes, beautiful tomato. Did very well, um, but it's a hybrid. Heirlooms. You know, there's hundreds, and, and we don't even try to grow them all. But Cherokee Purple is one that has stood the test of time. That's a Tennessee hybrid. We like to, I mean heirloom, we like to get local heirlooms if we can. I'll tell you, though, Cosmonaut Volkov, in my mind, is the best-tasting tomato I've ever had. And there are others who who agree with me on that. It's not one you see everywhere. But I don't think Johnny's has it. I think High Mowing has it. We get a lot of our seeds from High Mowing. And that's on your resource list. Um, amazing. You know, I don't have refined tastes. So that's another good reason I'm not good at the market. You know, people come... Well, well, what's the difference between this tomato and this one? Well... This one tastes like a tomato and this one tastes like a tomato. You know, I'm I just I'm not analyzing things as I eat them. But a lot of these foodies, as they're called, you know, they're into all these subtle nuances and well, you know, is this one more acidic than this? And and, you know, so I'm not good at answering those. But I say that just to say that Cosmonaut Volkov is one of the few tomatoes that When I eat a good one, it's like, wow, this is amazing. This is really good. Bradley, I mentioned, technically, it's not an heirloom because it hasn't been around for however many years, but it's been around for quite a few years, and that's one it's very hard to find seed for. That's a Tennessee, it's open-pollinated, so I classify it as an heirloom, Um. But people ask for Bradley's, and rose is another pink one. There's something about pink ones that have more of a, a, well, I think people call them less acidic, but actually, I read something recently that kind of refuted that whole you know more acidic or less acidic thing. Yeah, same with the, with the, yellow ones too. the yellow ones, again, tend to be yeah. Less, I think, you know, again, I'm kind of going by what other people say, but they're, they're how would I describe it? More mild, is that a way to say it? Um, cherry tomatoes. You know, cherry tomatoes, the downside is it's very labor-intensive to pick them. But, man, you can sell them. You put them in a pint container. Honey, what do we sell cherry tomatoes For? Four dollars a pint it's worth picking, especially if you've got the labor force um, we Allison was our cherry tomato girl that was her hoop house this summer, and she kept us supplied in cherry tomatoes and they did very we we actually made almost as much on our cherry tomatoes as we did our other tomatoes. Jasper is a red one that does very well. Sun Peach was a new one this year. It, man, it, it took over the greenhouse. I mean that that's, that those plants just. I mean cherry tomatoes, as you probably know, tend to be more vigorous than regular tomatoes. And Sun Peach was. I mean, it just grew gangbusters, and it's a very nice tasting tomato. When you say the best, do you think taste wise? Was it your favorite taste wise? Yeah, and um, she was just saying it, it had good taste and texture, and then a lot of was. A lot of the others, the down, well, uh, too much to say. Um, One downside to greenhouse growing or hoop house growing is that, again, in our hot, humid summers, you can get, we we have a challenge with, with what's called leaf mold. And so we are now looking for varieties that have leaf mold resistance. And sun peach, and I think Jasper as well, both have leaf mold resistance, and they, man, they really go to town. Okay, save seed from them. You, the, those top three are hybrid. Sun Gold, I think you, probably you all are familiar with that one. If you aren't, that's kind of the gold standard. No pun intended, but the gold standard for um, cherry tomatoes. It's amazing. It has a downside that it cracks very easy, so you gotta really be careful with your watering and stuff. But um, those top three sun gold, jasper, sun peach, and golden sweet are hybrids. Black cherry and white cherry are heirlooms. So you can save the seed on those. Just a few tips. Um, we, we really like growing in the hoop house for early and late crops. It's like I said, we plant our, our tomatoes in the hoop house. You know, we get them big, probably about so big, you know, a foot tall in our greenhouse with the heat. You know, we, we start the seed the end of January. Um, we plant them in our hoop house the middle of March that 's in an unheated hoop house. Our last frost date average last frost date is middle of April, so that 's a month before the average frost date, last frost. We have gotten temperatures down to seventeen degrees with um, you know after we planted the tomatoes. And you double cover, triple cover with row cover, put over hoops inside there, and we've we've brought our tomatoes through. So with row cover and uh, in a hoop house structure, you can plant them a month before your last frost. Um, and then again, like I said, next year we're going to do something different we're going to have an early greenhouse crop of tomatoes and then a late greenhouse crop of tomatoes Um, and then a middle crop outside because usually in our summers they do okay outside if you get a lot of rain they have problems outside and that's why we grow inside or one of the reasons because it keeps the rain off of them Of course, we roll up the sides, open the ends, try to get as much ventilation in there as possible. We put a shade cloth on. We trellis the slicing tomatoes. And there's a lot of information out there on the Internet on this. We can't get into it all here. But you use a string, you sucker the tomatoes, and you run them up the string. And um, then you lower and lean them. You know what I'm talking about. I'm trying to see if this is Greek to you or you know what I'm talking about. Um, Very labor-intensive, but clearly it's worth it because that's how all the professional growers do it. But what we discovered was in the heat of the summer, our greenhouse tomatoes tend to shut down, so we're spending all this labor trellising and lowering and leaning and they're not producing anything now they start back up again as the temperatures begin to cool off so it just hit me this year wait a minute this this isn't smart let's let's get that early crop and then as i say here somewhere maybe it's on the next slide um, you just take suckers off your tomatoes and you stick them in in the ground you got to baby them for a little bit till they root. Don't leave them in direct sun. But you've got your, your late crop right there. Pull out those old ones and replant the new ones. And then it's much easier to take care of them when they're small. You know, the lowering and leaning is what takes time. So we're going to do that next year. Um, cherry tomatoes are two... branchy to try to at least in my opinion to try to sucker them and trellis them so we do stake and weave you know what I'm talking about posts every five feet two or three plants in between or four plants we do our plants actually pretty intensive a foot apart in the row um and then you put those stakes in and then you you use string and and weave it back and forth and you're basically just holding the plants in and every week or two allison can demonstrate she spent her summer staking and weaving our cherry tomatoes um very common that's what they do in commercial growing outside that's basically all they do um so there's plenty of information available on that. Oh, yeah, here I did say propagate late crops with suckers. That saves on seeds, you know. Use white plastic tarps between the rows. That does a number of things. And this this was our first year to do this, and I would recommend it. Um, number one, it holds the soil moisture in keeps the the plant more evenly moist number two of course it it keeps the weeds down and for something that's in there for many months the longer it's in there the more chance the weeds have to take over so anything you can do for your long crops to keep weeds down and then the third thing it does is reflect light back up onto the plants so that's a positive thing cucumbers just sucker and trellis you know a lot of people just grow cucumbers on the ground outside and you can do that but but the refined cucumbers the what they call English cucumbers with a thin skin they do much better if you trellis them sucker and trellis you just again I I I hope you know what I mean by sucker and trellis um Usually we just trellis them up to a cable about so tall and then you let a sucker grow and let them trail back down. And again, I think both Elliot and JM get into this, so just read their books. Succession plant every four to six weeks, depending on your climate and everything. You know, we, the cucurbit family is our biggest challenge because we have, cucumber beetles, we have squash bugs, we have squash vine borers, plus all kinds of disease issues in our climate, so the best way we know to get around it is to keep planting. We grow them in the house. Um, yeah. Socrates is a, is a winner for us. They like a rich, well-watered soil. Cucumbers really, um, they they will repay you for the effort you put into the soil. Peppers, for the first year, we tried um, growing greenhouse peppers and suckering and trellising. Anne Elizabeth was our pepper girl. Um Bit more challenging than tomatoes, a lot less straightforward. Um, But I mean, the information is out there on how to do it. And um, we had some challenges early in the season with our peppers, but man, they really started producing. You, you, some of you may have seen some at the um, registration booth. Um, The Peppers really come into their own in the fall. Um, Our other peppers, our favorites are actually the sweet, not the bells, but the, some people call them banana peppers or bull's horn peppers. And particularly these two varieties, Carmen and Aranos. Carmen is a red and Aranos is an orange. Amazing, prolific like you wouldn't believe Um, And amazing taste. And then this year we also grew Johnny's lunchbox peppers. We only trialed them. We had a few plants, but wow. You know, they're the little peppers that you put in a pint and just eat as a snack. Amazing. Amazing. We're going to grow a lot more. I think we can sell those like we sell our cherry tomatoes. Lettuce and salad greens, just one little tip, pelleted seed for transplanting, you know, if you're growing your transplant, will speed up your planting tremendously. Lettuce seed is a little hard to deal with um, when it's, quotes, naked. But if you pelletize it, um, man, you can plant really fast. So that's just a little tip. Um, pelletized seed doesn't keep as long as non pelletized so you won't don't want to buy three years worth they recommend you use it all in the year but um, the six row cedar some people were looking at this earlier um, so it's six rows you plant at one time but you go down one side of the bed and back the other so it's 12 rows in a 30 inch wide bed if you use that combined with the quick cut greens harvester that my son you can see it in the demonst- or the exhibit area um, you can grow a lot of baby lettuce and like I say that's one thing that really sells does that use pelleted? no, no, for for, for Well, you could use pelletized seed in the six-row seeder. It has different size holes. You can adjust it. But pelletized seed is more expensive than naked seed, and you use a whole lot when you're growing salad mix, so you would not want to use pelletized seed for that. Carrots. We are known for our winter carrots, Which again, you have to adjust for your climate, but we plant in August, actually, like the third week in August. But don't wait till the very end of August, at least in our climate, it's too late. The challenge with fall planting is you have very little margin for error. If you miss your window, you missed it till next fall. In the spring, You know, if you don't get it planted this week, you can plant it the next week. But that doesn't work in the fall. And so you really got to be on the ball with your timing. You plant carrots beginning of September and they're never going to size up. A week's difference, it's amazing what it makes in the fall. Bolero from Johnny's is our standard winter carrot. We keep them in the ground all the way through the winter. If it's going to get down in the teens, we throw a row cover over it. But they're in cold storage in the ground, and they sweeten up. Our carrots at Christmas time are the best gift you can give somebody. And for spring, plant February, March. You know, even I'm going to try in the hoop house planting some when I get back from here to overwinter, and it's hard to have carrots in April, so I'm going to try to get carrots in April. Um, Yaya or Nelson are good varieties for that. You can get more for them if you bunch them with the tops on, but it's more labor-intensive, so you got to weigh that out, Um, but again, if you're trying to earn as much as possible, and they're always prettier with the tops on them, now, the key to carrots is having a weed-free bed to plant them in. Do any of you have weed-free beds? Wow, we've got somebody nodding her head back there. <laughs> Praise God. Um, it's And I know when she says weed-free, that means not overwhelming amounts of weed because it's It's impossible, I think, to have weed-free beds. But if you're diligent with the cultivation, you can lessen your weeds over time. But stale seed beds, do you all know what a stale seed bed is? No. Okay, we need to... Basically, you just prepare your bed ahead of time, a week or two ahead of time, and pretend you've planted it. You water it, you let the weeds germinate, and you can then very lightly cultivate it. So you get all those newly germinated weeds without bringing up new weeds, because they're all down in there. You may think they're not, but they can stay in the soil for years and years. So by shallow cultivation... You, you eliminate bringing all, you know, that's one problem, one downside to a rototiller, because you're constantly bringing up a new flush of weeds. But with the broad fork and just surface cultivation, you can, you can eliminate those in the top inch or two over a few years. So you understand what I'm saying? Prepare the bed, water it, cultivate it do that again if you have time you know if you do that a couple times you know wait a week let the weeds germinate and get them when they're this small then you will plant into a seed bed where 80% of your weeds are already germinated now if you want to go the next step you get a flame weeder and and Steve Meyer who is here teaching the gardening 101 He's the premier authority on flame weeding in the country. He sells the flame weeders too. To me it's pretty exciting that Adventists are taking back the, the, the lead in market gardening because um, both the greens harvester which the Lord helped my son develop and the flame weeder are manufactured by Adventists and they're two of JM's top Tools. He wrote an article for Garden uh, for Growing for Market magazine, and those were his must-have tools, which has made my son's business very successful. Um, so flame weeding is basically again, you prepare your beds. It's just a little bit more complicated, and Steve Meyer can give you all the details on it. But basically, you you actually flame it after you've seeded it. Most weeds will germinate before carrots, but that's where it gets a little dicey. If you're off on your timing, you might flame your carrots, which would be tragic. Um, So you can fool with that, but it's very effective. Beets, Merlin and Red Ace are kind of our standard Okay, when did we start here? What time was it? Ten fifty. So we were supposed to quit at eleven forty-five. Okay. Thank you. Um, Yeah, Merlin Red Ace, Red Beats, Touchstone Gold. I should have put an asterisk by that one. We really like touchstone gold. It's a golden beet. It's uh, very mild flavored. um, Just really does well. Beautiful beet. Now, one thing we do, and actually a JM does it as well, is we transplant our beets. When we just sow beets in the garden, something about beets They just disappear. You know, you'll see them start to come up, and every day there's a few less. And I don't know if it's insects or disease. I don't know what it is. But we usually get a very spotty stand unless you seed really heavy. And then you have to deal with maybe you get too many, and then you've got to thin. And I'll tell you what, if you're growing for a living, you can't spend your time thinning beets and carrots that's too labor if you're on your knees I love to weed on my knees but it's not profitable okay I I love weeding um, but you you want to stay standing up as much as possible just because like I say it's not profitable to be on your well it's very profitable to be on your knees if you're praying But um, So we transplant, we put, if it's new, fresh seed, we'll put two seeds in a, we use soil blocks. Um, And you should know, if you don't, that um, they're inch and a half soil blocks that beet seeds, as well as Swiss chard, I can't remember the technical term, but they're often multiple seeds in one seed so you plant one beet seed and it may produce three or four plants so what we're wanting is four plants in each block and you put them you plant them a little further apart and the beauty of that is it's less transplanting plus it's easier cultivation so you put them six inches in the row um, three rows in a bed you know, for, for if you're planting individually, you want one beet like every three or four inches. And that gets very hard to cultivate. But six inches you can cultivate between. First of August, th- this is a trick with beets in the fall. If you plant them past the first of August, and again, this is for our area, they will not produce a good-sized beet The, this cedar no, no. oh that is seeding that is seeding yeah first of August Swiss chard the cooking greens we um, bright lights is is does very well and it's very beautiful it's multicolored so you, you know color people like the color and that kind of thing kale lacinato seems to be most people's favorite kind. It's also called dinosaur kale or Nero di Toscano kale. There's a lot of different names for it. Um, winter boar. Now, this is a perfect... I'll take time to just tell you that um, kale seed has been in a shortage for the last two growing seasons. Your classic roughly kale... I guess they grow most of it in Europe. This is, you know, the, a lot of it is hybrid. And for whatever reasons, I guess the demand is high and they had low supply. They had some bad seasons. Um, you cannot buy this kind of, hopefully this next year you can. But that's just a, a an example of why it's good to have your own, Seed source, Russian. I, and there's red Russian, there's white Russian, there's Siberian. Where we like Russians, right? Um, Lilia's from Russia, um, but they do well, and they're actually a different um, species: Brassica rapus, rapus. And the others are, anyway, I don't remember all, the, but they, they actually tend to regrow more through the winter than some of the others. Seed, first of February, middle of July. Small fruits. Uh, we talked about those. We grow our strawberries as an annual. Um, there are a lot of reasons for that and I actually would encourage you to do it that way we grow it on plastic and um, you can we plant in the fall and that works anywhere in the south and they do it actually all the way up to mid US if you go further north you do more of the matted row style I'm going to talk a little bit more about this in a session tomorrow. I can get a little bit more detailed on it. Blueberries, raspberries, blackberries, as I said, they're going to draw people. Oops. Harvesting tips, nothing. uh, You know, you're always worried you're going to have enough, and then you end up having too much. Um key with harvesting is getting things out of the sun as cool as quickly as possible. And so you want to start early in the day before the field heat is in the plants. One thing in the lean farm book that he really emphasizes is doing all you can without putting it down. You know, you might think it's more efficient to just harvest everything and then to bunch it in a separate step. He says no. You harvest it. You know clean it up. Many times you got to take off a few dead leaves. You have your rubber bands right here. You've counted them out. So you know I need 20 bunches. You've got 20 rubber bands. You, you bunch them as you harvest them. And all you have to do then is spray them off. And you're done. Um, so little things like that can help. You all know about Dipel, I hope, BT. You know, a lot of people ask me, what do you do about worms on cabbage? Man, it's a simple solution, Dipel. It's available at your farmer's co-op. It's organic. It's a bacteria that the, the worms eat and They die. And the beauty is it's very specific. You know, you're not killing your beneficial insects. So it's a simple solution. BT is what they have genetically engineered into corn. But that's a whole different story. You know, that takes a good thing and makes it into a bad thing. But very effective on brassicas. Now there's something else called Entrust. It uses another bacteria called spinosad. Very expensive, but incredibly effective, not just on brassicas for cabbage worms, but potatoes for Colorado potato beetle larvae. It won't kill the adults, but if you've gardened at all, you know about Colorado potato beetles. The larvae can do a lot of damage. We grew a lot of potatoes this spring, and you know, you just monitor, you have to walk, and when you start seeing the the larvae hatch out, we did one spray. I couldn't believe it. see th- this stuff is like four hundred dollars for a bottle, but you use a very little you know we didn't even use half a bottle this year. Um, it, it so i had I told my son. And another apprentice, I need you to spray the the potatoes. I went out there the next day, and I could not find a potato beetle larva anywhere. It was amazing. And then I finally got to the last row, and all of a sudden, on the very last row, I found these potato beetle larvas. So I said to them, what happened? Did you Did you spray the last row? Well... Actually, we kind of ran out on the last row. So it was like night and day difference. So if you can bite the bullet and get that stuff and make sure you keep the cap on the bottle, don't let your kids tip it over, it's very good. SWD Spotted Wing Drosophila, major um, challenge to small fruit growers Mexican bean beetles, I don't have a simple solution for those. You can use something like pyganic. Fire ants, I haven't done this yet, but Entrust is supposed to work on fire ants. The directions are on the bottle. It's all organic, it's very insect specific, so again, that's what you're looking for. You don't want something that's going to kill everything, because that that's not good Um, row covers for flea beetles we use big eggplant you know if you've tried to grow eggplant the flea beetles will eat it up if it's small so we just grow transplants like this and they can out outgrow the flea beetles Um, succession plant squash Um, aphids are the simplest thing to fix If you have aphids, it's because you've put too much nitrogen on or you are not watering enough. Um, You make sure those plants never come under water stress and don't over-fertilize with nitrogen, and I can almost guarantee you won't have aphids. Pyganic is something we use as a last resort. That's more a broad-spectrum insecticide it's technically organic but it it will kill a lot of beneficials so you know I said make sure bees are not present you know and you should know usually the bees are there at certain times of the day when the flowers are opening and just focus on building soil I think this is our yeah we're almost done here Weeding tips, I've already talked about the stale seed beds. That's our number one um, attack now is just try to prepare the beds ahead of time. That takes some work, but um, (coughs) if you have them prepared ahead of time, you can get most of the weeds before you ever plant. Schedule cultivation, this is something I want to emphasize If you wait to cultivate till you have time, you're never going to do it, right? Because you're just running crazy. But, you know, it's like, okay, Monday mornings we're going to cultivate. Now, obviously, if it's raining, you've got to be flexible. But um, if you don't have it in the schedule, it gets overlooked until they're too big. You want to get them ideally before you can even see them you just stir the soil with... This is is one of my favorite tools, the collinear hoe. It's Elliot Coleman designed it. Stand like this, you don't have to lean over, you're not chopping or anything, you're just stirring the soil. And there's a great short video on Johnny's website of Elliot Coleman demonstrating this. He's super fast with it, but if your soil's loose and the weeds are small, you can cultivate a bed very quickly and um, never have a weed problem. So I highly recommend this. This is a tool that is designed for a very specific purpose. If you start trying to do this with it, every year we break a few, but it's only because they're not used properly. Because you can buy a new, new head, but I've never broken one in 20 years of using it. So, um, flame weeding we talked about. I've got to talk about tarping. This is, we went to JM's farm up in Canada. Uh, I I guess it's been three falls ago. And that was the best thing I took away from visiting him is the tarps, silage tarp. And again, I I don't want to be promoting my son here of anybody else, but my son has a farmer's friend business, and he has silage tarps here. You can go home with one. Um, They're not readily available if you just look on the Internet, and they're kind of expensive to ship and so on. But it's just a heavy-duty plastic. They use it to cover silage piles in, in big farming Um, it's black on one side white on the other you put the white side side down and you just cover your ground with it so the way we use it is at least the main way we use it you know we do a big spring crop that's our main push in the spring but oftentimes at least the last two years come june we get a lot of rain and And that's also when all your grass is germinating. And grass is the worst weed to deal with. So, oftentimes, and we're just running wild in June, you know, trying to keep ahead of everything. Oftentimes, at least the last two years, the combination of the rain and the time the grass gets away from us. And so, when we finish harvesting our our spring stuff... We just cover it, cover all those weeds with the tarp. Now, ideally, if they're big, you would weed eat or flail mow that you can get a flail mower for the BCS, chop it up because it'll break down quicker. Just cover it with that tarp and leave it for a month. And it's amazing. You come back in a month, so this is now time when we're starting to prepare for fall, you know we pull the tarp off the soil is moist and loose and ready to plant it's incredible it's it's the closest thing to an easy solution on the farm that you'll find you know there are no no easy solutions on the it's just hard work but you just cover it and the worms and stuff will come up and take all that detritus down in, you know, all the surface stuff. And you're left with this seed bed ready to plant. It, it also will help with eliminate your weeds because it will, it's moist and warm under there. That's perfect for germinating weeds. They germinate. They can't grow because there's no light. So you're lessening your weed seed bank. So I can't recommend it highly enough. Again, it's a little bit of a pain. You know, you got to move around these big tarps. And, but man, it's, it's made a huge difference in our garden since we started using tarps. Because the last thing you want to do is being cultivating soil that you're not growing anything on. That makes no sense. You know, you get your spring stuff out. It's too late to be planting most of your summer stuff. You could plant some green beans or something. But you're just trying to keep the soil ready for your fall plantings. So I know I'm going over, but I, I just want to emphasize that. And, we'll okay, this is just a couple. You know, I'm I'm just racking my brain trying to think of practical tips I can give you. You know, you can buy wooden I don't like plastic plant labels cuz then they end up all over the place you can buy wooden plant labels from Johnny's thirty dollars for a thousand or you can go to Hobby Lobby and buy a box of a thousand craft sticks just popsicle sticks for 395 you know they're not perfect they can sometimes be a little rough but hey it's worth it. And then, you know, we just throw them on the garden. It's, it's organic matter. They'll break down eventually. Um, so just a simple tip to save some money. You want to use a Sharpie. You want a good permanent marker that won't bleed and disappear. That's really frustrating when you mark everything up. And when it goes to planting, you can't read the tags. Um We like to get big transplants for tomatoes, peppers, eggplant, cucumbers, because um, that's just that much more you know we 've got that much more jump on the season. Okay, that's it for now. Thank you for hanging with me. Um, again, I apologize there's just so much to talk about. But even if you can take home a few tips, and if you get your hands on some of these books, it's the best thing you can do. So I'm I'm happy to take a few questions. I know it's about lunch. Is lunch at lunch is at twelve thirty? I I don't know how it works with video. We can we can go a little longer. I I want to answer your questions, but you probably have places to go. There's yes. Okay, the question is on mulch. Um, Mulch is a wonderful thing. But when you're talking about a market garden scale, you're talking about a whole lot of mulch. So the question is, where do you get it all? And then there's a few other downsides to mulch. Of course, the positive side is it's just putting organic matter in the soil. The other downside is once you mulch, you can no longer mechanically cultivate. So that means your only option is hand weeding. So unless you can put it on thick enough, and, and there are a few other downsides. If, if you live in the southeast where the climate is wet, you can actually get a lot of rotten stuff where that mulch is touching the stems. So I'm not at all against mulch. And on a small home garden scale, I think it's probably more practical. On a market gardening scale, I haven't been a- Now, our blueberries and stuff, we mulch with wood chips. But in the garden, we haven't been able to figure out how to make it work. Yes, question here. very good question that I can briefly address and I think maybe Kirsten and Nick might address it a little more. Uh, The question was on pricing of produce. How do you set your prices? Ideally in an ideal world you, you would do like you first said where you figure out the cost of production and add on, you know, whatever percentage you need to, to actually make it work and charge that much, um, you know, depending on what it is and depending on where your market is, you may not be able to do that. So basically, um, our pricing is is based pretty much on farmer's market prices. Now, you go to a producer's only, and and this will be more in the marketing, but you don't want to just go to a peddler's market where you've got people from South Texas bringing up their produce and selling it really cheap. But if you go to a producer's only market where everybody who's there is a producer and you look at the prices there, there's kind of an understood thing that you're not going to undercut everybody else too much. That's just not cool you know that's that's not nice um and so that's kind of but we don't mind being on the high end of the you know there's something to be said for being the highest priced because people think it's better and you know of course we think ours is better because ours is prayed over and labored over but um does that kind of answer, you just don't even try to compete with Walmart. That's not your competition. If people want Walmart prices, they can go to Walmart. Um, so don't, even other grocery stores, if you're a little more, hey, you're fresher. They, they know who grew it. They can ask you questions. You invite them out to the farm. Okay, here's my expert. Do you have something to say? Oh, here I thought he was going to share his wisdom with you. Okay. Yes, another question. I a You mentioned that you don't plant carrots. I plant them space uh, okay. How do you them Okay, how do you plant carrots so you don't have to thin them? You need a precision seeder. Um. The six-row cedar is a precision cedar. Our our earthway cedar, I think, is actually over. Most of you probably know about earthway cedars. They're pretty cheap, and they do bigger seeds well. Carrots, not so well. The little seeds, they're not so good at. Um, The Haas cedar, I haven't yet used it personally. I, I hope to get one. I've, I have a farmer friend who really rates it high. It's, it's not as expensive as some of these other cedars, and it seems to be very well made. I've looked at them. Um, my friend brought one out to the farm to show me. He was so excited about it. Um, so, yeah, you need a cedar that is going to, again, none of them are going to be perfect, and you don't even try to get them perfect, but... You want them somewhat thinned, you know. Um, Do we use pelleted seed for carrots? We have used pelleted seed the last few years um, for carrots. Yeah, again, carrots kind of have a funny shape. Okay. Well, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna deflect that. Uh, well, let me just say we sell to consumers. That's our main goal. But they will talk more about that in the marketing session. So I'm gonna hold off on that. I'm happy to stay, but I, I want you all to feel free to go if you need to go, and if you need to cut off the video, that's fine too. We'll just. This will be off the cuff. Then I can be really honest. <laughs> okay, we've got a good question from... Is it too late to plant Bolero carrots? Is it too late to plant bolero carrots? Yes, for, for winter carrots, it's too late. Um, you could plant them now. And if you can get them up, they'll... They'll survive through the winter and they may produce something. I, I, that's still an area I'm experimenting with. But good question. Good question. August is when you want to plant them. Where do you find strawberry plants for sale in the fall? Where do you find for sale in the fall? Well, you can come to Bountiful Blessings Farm. We sell strawberry plants in the fall. But you're in Arkansas. There's a lot of growers in Arkansas that do fall planting. Um, are you in Arkansas? Or... Okay, I know it's close to Arkansas. Um, yeah, you're just going to have to do... I can't give you a name there, but a lot of them come out of North Carolina. North Carolina is the big... They kind of pioneered this, it's called the plastic culture method. You do it on plastic for fall planting. So the, the industry is largely centered in North Carolina. Okay, question here. Do, you have do we have liability insurance? Yes, we do. Um, we have a farm policy Um, through Farm Bureau it's not hard to get some basic liability. Now if you want to start doing more wholesaling you know like Whole Foods and that kind of thing you've got to have like a two million dollar liability policy. Now I'm not a lawyer and I you know I try to stay away from that. I will tell you are we off the camera? Okay. Um You know, I don't want to be irresponsible, but I've been told by more than one person that if you're a little guy, you know, lawyers look at at your pockets and are they going to sue you? You know, what are they going to get out of it? So I'm, I, and again, I'm not saying you don't need insurance, but I'm just saying if you stay small and kind of under the radar, so to speak, I think you can avoid a lot of the burdens that our government and our, our litigious society is putting on us. You know, our, I tell you what, if, if any of our CSA customers ever sued us, I would be very, very surprised. Um, I mean, it could happen. Every year you have some new ones, and some don't fit. You have to have a certain kind of person for CSA, and so some come and go, and that's okay. But, you know, our core group of CSA, you know, we've had some of customers that been our CSA for 15 years. They're not going to sue us. Yeah. Wow, so many good questions. How late in the summer do we grow kale and cooking greens? Yeah. Um, Basically, the end of June. We could go further. In our area, we have harlequin beetles. And those all seem to show up usually around the end of June. And they're a harder one to deal with organically. So that's kind of they signal the end of the kale season and so we pull it out and then we're planting in July seeding for fall um but yeah we don't we don't try to st- carrots you know you can theoretically grow carrots through the summer we don't try because in our mind they're not good enough you know they they don't taste good so again kind of the end of June is the end of spring for us it it actually correlates with the official end of spring but we don't try to push spring stuff this year the harlequin beetles were late coming and we actually went into july a week or two but that's unusual okay we one here and one here and then we'll call it quit yes we replant every fall and again it's it's no we buy new plants well we buy tips the runner tips you know how they strawberries runner we buy the unrooted tips and we root them ourselves and that's we we buy enough to sell a bunch and then that pays for our plants every fall so we're getting plants for free every year basically um there's a lot of reasons for that. And like I say, tomorrow in the small fruits, I'll, I'll be able to go into it a little more. But bottom line is, you don't have time to take care of those strawberries all summer long. They're not earning you anything. You, you don't have time to weed them and water them. And... This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio,